This is Anabaptist Perspectives. We're here in Brooklyn, New York City with Alan Roth. You moved here in 1986 and we're involved in leadership at the Followers of Jesus Church, which is where we're at right now. Can you walk me through that? When was that church started and, and why did you come here? What was the vision that brought it about? Well, we had moved back to the U.S. from Central America with a plan to go to a Muslim country in South Asia. But we wanted, in the interim, to get a team together planting a church, get them started, and then we would move on. And through an unusual series of events, which began during some days of prayer and fasting, the idea was presented that we would come to New York City to find a pastoral couple who are friends of ours from New York, and that if, without telling them what we had in mind, if they would invite us to help them start a church, that would be the sign. And so, through some really miraculous events, we found them. It was very unusual. It was like looking for a needle in a haystack. And they did invite us to come and help get a church started. So, we moved here in November of 86 with two other couples and a single with a goal to plant a church here. We started in a very grungy, unfinished basement. And then a couple months later, we were run out of there. And then we found another basement. And then the church continued to grow. We rented space then. We, the church met in like seven different spaces over a period of 17 years before we were able to buy our own property. We bought half of a building. So <laughs> that's where we are right now. So that's how we got started here and really didn't expect to be here longer than a year or so. But I noticed that when people asked us, especially new believers, how long are you going to be here? And I'd tell them, oh, six to 12 months. It's just sort of like this chill effect. Mm, And one day, just the Lord brought it very clearly to my attention. You know, don't say that. Just say, we'll be here as long as the Lord wants us until he raises up faithful leadership. As the years went by, then the church was established with a membership, a leadership team established. I'm no longer on the leadership team now, uh, having given uh, leadership to Destinations International for a number of years. So that's how we got here. So as a church, and then thinking back of the original vision, what, how would you define success for what you're trying to do here? Well, that word success is a hard word to define. We had actually started out thinking it would be a Hispanic church. In my naivete, my inexperience, How were we going to start a Spanish-speaking church when people on the team didn't all speak Spanish? I mean, hello, (laughs) hello, you know, think a little bit. And we had started out having it in Spanish and translating it to English and then translating it from English to Spanish, and it it was just a killer. The only people that liked it were a few people that wanted to learn the other language. Most people didn't like it. So eventually we just went to English and tried starting a separate Spanish group. Success is defined in people coming to Christ in becoming committed members of the church, in reaching out in their own neighborhood, in starting another church, in sending out missionaries, in winning their own children to Christ. To me, that's what success looks like. To me, success in church planting looks like winning local people and incorporating them into the church, and then some of them becoming leaders in the church itself. Have you all done that here then? Yes. Mm, not to the a degree that our ideals had envisioned it. But yes, over the years there have been people from 
uh, the area here who have become part of the leadership team. Mm -hmm. And yes, the church has become a sending church. There is a, a family from here in Spain. There's a, a single in South Asia. And there's a single lady in Haiti. And so we're very grateful that God has raised up people to go to other parts of the world as well as try reaching out right here. Mm -hmm. The person, the brother who was pastor, lead pastor after I served in that capacity, he and his family have moved to the Bronx mm -hmm. to get a church plant going there. And so we're very grateful. And we have the sister church there in Queens that's associated with the Mission Training Center. And now they have helped to start another church. And there are the two teams working in Brooklyn, southern Brooklyn, among Jewish people and Muslim people. And they're working to establish churches among those people groups as well. They didn't come out of our church here, but they're like sister churches that we cooperate together. So what was your methods to, to bring all this about? And then also, which parts would you say were the most effective? Well, in the beginning, we did a lot of track distribution. Mm -hmm. That was scary for us, but it's n not as scary as some other methods. <laughs> but it is an impersonal method, and as time has gone on, I've seen that the most powerful methods are the most personal methods. We did a lot of door-to-door -door work, like with questionnaires, surveys, and so on, and then mm -hmm. uh, offer to pray for people, offer to start Bible studies in their homes. I would consider that to be more effective. That's even scarier, going door-to-door. Nobody likes it, yeah. but, uh, but then when you find people, then they're right there in your neighborhood. Yeah. You don't have to go far. Yeah. And they begin to watch you and see if you're the real deal or not. Mm -hmm. We've done open air preaching, like at the platforms of the train stations or in a nearby shopping area. <clears throat> and that gives uh, public, makes public awareness, mm -hmm. which is good. But then when you want to follow up people, then it's hard because they're from everywhere. And so in the beginning days, we used to go all over this city trying to follow up on people. And finally, we just kept narrowing it down. It's just going to be Brooklyn. Yeah. It's just going to be East Brooklyn. It's just going to be within a radius of about six blocks mm -hmm. that we focus on. We, uh, we chose deliberately not to get vans to transport people for church, but to work primarily within walking distance here in the community. Okay. And we figured that if people can get to shopping and jobs by train and bus and car, then they can get to church that way too. Mm -hmm. And so that was an early decision that influenced our focus. <clears throat> A lot of home Bible studies, um, and the church was actually started and met in, in homes until we were forced out and then began meeting in public spaces like a local Methodist church or a local Pentecostal church or the YMCA until we were able to purchase this building. Mm -hmm. So I would say really over the years the most powerful ways are the most simple and personal. Let me, let me add one other thing, another method we used was, would be children's and youth ministry, like kids okay. clubs, Bible camp, or camps outside, week camps or weekends outside the city. And then we started the school here as well, too. Yeah, well, I was wondering about that. How long has your school been going? 20 years now, I think, or 22 years oh, we've wow. had the school. Oh, I didn't realize it was that long. Now, here's one observation of mine. <clears throat> There's been a ton of energy and work invested, like in kids' clubs, 
in camps, summer camps, and in the school too. And it's all valuable, very useful. However, I would say from the perspective of church planting, it has not been that fruitful. And so this is the logo that I've come up with, the motto. If you're going to do children's ministry, follow the children home. Go meet those parents, share the gospel with them, invite them to church, build relationships with them. Because what we've discovered is that as children grow and they enter their teens, if they don't have that support network, they tend yeah. to drop out. And very few of them end up being with us. That may have been partly our fault that we did not mobilize ourselves to really maximize those contacts in trying to build relationships with the parents and start Bible studies with them and so forth. What did growth look like for this church here and then just in general? Most of our growth has come through personal contacts. There have been some that have a few that have come through literature distribution, then it tends to follow the contacts of those persons with people they know. Making connections in the neighborhood, uh, those are the best mm -hmm. connections. It's good to do widespread as well because it helps to create an awareness. It plants seeds. It helps bless other ministries as well as people become aware of the gospel. But from the perspective of church planting and local church growth, it needs to be personal, simple, reproducible, and over and over again. I think one thing where, where I look back, and I think maybe it was an error strategically, when uh, prior to having the school started, we used to uh, mobilize to go out once a week, either door to door or visiting contacts that had been made in their homes. When we were organizing to get the school started, I said to myself, I've got too much administrative stuff to do. We can't keep that up. We let that go in order to get the school started. And I think it would be fairly accurate to say if, if you would chart our growth as a church over those years, that once we entered that phase of getting our school started, we sort of leveled off. Mm, okay. Because we weren't investing as much in personal witnessing in the neighborhood. Let's, let's narrow it in a little. Can you tell me a specific instance or story that you would say was a, a time of success for you and for this church? Well, one that, that came to my mind was the purchase of this building without mm. any indebtedness. It was just an amazing story without fundraisers of how God provided. Um, but I won't go through that long story. But it was just, it's something that we've often looked back at as being a mile marker and how God really mm -hmm. did something amazing there. Another one I would say is that when Daniel and June Pollard were added to the leadership team, there was a season in which Matt and Eleanor Alert, as a licensed deacon, I think it was, were on the leadership team as well. Mm -hmm. Those were uh, special times. <clears throat> Um, transitioning from my leadership to Richard Schwartz. I would see that as being a, a special time as well, a special season. Each of the times when, prior to buying this building, when the church was forced to move to another spot, I always thought it was the devil that was at work, and maybe he was. But each time it turned out being for good and opened up the way for the church to grow some more.
Those have been special moments looking back. Every time someone comes to Christ and is baptized and becomes a member of the church, that's a special moment. Because there's such a, a strong current in the broader culture now away from church membership, away from committed, connected church membership. And so when people get over that hurdle and they actually do commit and they do connect and then they become useful and involved, that's, that's always very encouraging, very special. That's the last question I had, but is there anything else you would like to share? Well, for all of those who are watching, I would say please do consider the possibility of being involved in church planting. Uh, I read a book, the book, The American Church in Crisis, which studied churches for a five-year period between the year 2000 and the year 2005. <clears throat> and coming out of that, the author said that on a given Sunday morning, nine out of ten Americans will not be in any church at wow. all. And in this country, there are 190 million unchurched people. And if you take all of them and put them together in one nation, it would be the fifth, the fifth most populous nation in the world. <clears throat> I remember reading a, a note from history that at the time of the French Revolution, which was a godless and bloody revolution, terrible social injustices in the French culture at that time, the historian mentioned that England was ripe for the same kind of bloody revolution. But what England had was George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers. Mm -hmm. And especially the Wesleys, because they not only preached, but they gathered people together in small groups, which became Methodist churches. And that spared England that bloody, godless revolution. And I'm thinking about what's happening in America and in Canada and the, the, the wholesale departure from Judeo-Christian values. I'm thinking the hope of North America is in church planting, calling people to discipleship following Jesus and gathering together in committed fellowships of believers. So if there are any young people or not so young people who are watching, I would say, please consider the possibility that God might be calling you to a life ministry of being involved in church planting. Thank you very much You're for welcome. sharing. Yeah, and, and when also your example of, of having walked this path and then sharing what you've learned. That's, that's really important for people to hear that. Well, if God could take a timid farm boy from Oregon and plop him down in New York City and have him survive, he can, I think maybe he can do it for most anybody. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good way of saying it. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We'd love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast, or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for listening to Anabaptist Perspectives. Your listening and sharing this with friends helps more people find our episodes. A special thanks to all of you who support Anabaptist Perspectives financially. We are here because of you. If you haven't had the chance to give yet this year, would you consider making a year-end donation? You can donate on our website or by check. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Anabaptist Perspectives. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.